Well, good morning again, everyone. I want to say welcome to worship again to those of you who are here in this room with me right now, but also I want to say welcome to those of you who are joining us by video right now. Some of you are in our traditional sanctuary or you're joining us online or on TV. I'm really grateful and glad that you are here, that we have this opportunity all to be connected to one another, to be learning from God's word together, to be growing together in life together in Christ, life in the way of Jesus. We're in the middle of a series right now called The Good and Beautiful Community, and we're learning to be formed for life together as a good and beautiful community. And as I welcome you, I kind of want to say welcome back to me, because I'm really glad to be back with you again. My family and I have been on vacation for a couple of weeks, and, uh, and we had a great time. It was really restorative time away for us, and we got to visit some other churches while we were gone, and it's encouraging to be gathered with the people of Jesus who gather in other churches and other places, and know that they're celebrating the gospel too, and also we long to be back with you. It is, I'm just really grateful to be here. I love you guys, and we're glad to be back again. Today, as we are learning about being formed as the good and beautiful community, we've been learning each week about different characteristics of life together in Christ, of the different kind of people that God makes us to be in Christ. And today in particular, we're learning to be formed as the generous community, as the generous community. Now, that's kind of a funny topic to talk about, actually. It can be a challenging topic. Some of you are like, oh, we're talking about money in church again. Good, I'm glad I came today. <laughs> Some of you may be here for the first time today, and you're like, I knew it. I knew that's what church was about. They just want my money. I knew it. Well, you won't believe me if I tell you we don't. So ask somebody else around you. They'll tell you that's not how we do it around here. And in fact, generosity is about a lot more than money anyway. Generosity really is a, it's a lifestyle. It's a, more than anything else, it's a heart state. It's a state of being open-hearted and living open-handedly toward others. And generosity, in my experience, is something that everybody wants. I want to grow in the practice of generosity. I want to be more generous than I am. I bet you do. I have never met anybody who's like, I would really like to increase in the practice of stinginess. I would like to keep everything I've got for myself and never share. I don't know anybody who's ever said that out loud anyway, maybe. <laughs> we all want to grow in the value of generosity. But frankly, it's hard. It's, it's a challenge for us when it gets right down to it, how to do that. It's, it's a challenge. And I think one of the reasons for that is because there are some misunderstandings that we have. There are, one thing is one lie that we believe, I think, that keeps us from growing in the value of generosity. We believe this myth. We believe that we barely have enough to get by. We barely have enough to take care of our own needs, let alone to share with anybody else. And if someday we had a good bit more, just enough more than we have right now, then we would be able to be generous. Then we would have enough to share. That would make us generous. I'm telling you, I have told that lie myself. I know what that feels like. I remember actually a number of years ago, this was the fall of 1999. I was an intern pastor at a congregation in Southern California, Laguna Beach, California, where I was sent to suffer for Jesus as an intern pastor. And, uh, I sat down with my mentor pastor. I remember where I was sitting and the office they put together for me. I remember where he was sitting. I remember the conversation. And he was talking to me to challenge me about my giving, about my practice of generosity as a follower of Jesus and as a leader in a Christian community. And I can remember how I told him, I'm like, you're right, man. And there was no way he couldn't be right. And he was, just, he was very wise, a great mentor who really built into me. And I'm really, I agree with everything you're saying. It's totally biblical. It's totally right but dude, you know what I make, right? I mean, I'm an intern here in this congregation. You're my boss. You know, you know what apartment rents are like in Southern California. I, it is going to be a lot easier for me to practice this. 
a couple of years from now when I'm making any kind of regular salary at all. And with the patience and wisdom and power and persuasiveness that only comes from having been there, from having done it, he just said to me, I said, I know. (laughs) I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like. I know where you are, but it's not true. (laughs) The easiest time, the best and easiest time to grow in your practice of generosity and giving to God's mission and to the needs around you is always the present time. It is always now. Because a week from now and a year from now and a couple years from now, you will have other reasons. You will have more reasons why that is not the right time. Now is always the best time. And I can tell you that my experience has borne out the truth of what he was teaching me. That is the truth. And this week I did a little research to kind of get a little broader perspective, to learn a little bit more about the practice of generosity in our culture. I found a study that was done by the National Center for Charitable Statistics. Did you know there was such a thing? Google told me there is such a thing. I found it. And the National Center for Charitable Statistics has done a number of studies. One of the things they measured was how charitable giving, I think this is taken from tax, from tax data, how charitable giving corresponds to household income. And to start with, they measured people whose household income, total combined household income is about $50,000 annually. Now, I have no idea, obviously, where yours is. In our area, the median household income is a good bit higher than that. At $50,000 of annual household income, people on average give away about 4% of their income. And then in every income bracket above that, at least up through $500,000 of annual income, I know that most of you are way above that, but at $500,000 of annual income, all the way up there, it keeps going down. At every level, people give away a smaller fraction of their income on average than at that level which obviously is not predictive of anybody's individual case. It may not be you. It doesn't mean that if you have more, you're necessarily a stingy person, or if you have less, you're necessarily a generous person. But it does, I think, give the lie to the myth that we believe that if I just had more, that would, in general, make me more generous. Not true. And I think part of the reason that it works this way, in this counterintuitive way in our lives, is that we have this other problem. And that is that we always want more than what we have. No matter how much we have, we always need at least a little bit more. There maybe was a time in your life when you had half as much as you have now, and you thought to yourself, if I had twice what I have now, that would be way more than enough. But here you are, and it's still not enough. This has been my life story. I know it. I bet it's true for many of us who are here. The, one of my favorite Christian uh, artists, the late, great uh, Richard, Rich Mullins wrote a song about this. It's called One Thing. And he wrote this lyric that has been convicting my heart for 20 years. Everybody I know says they need just one thing. But what they really mean is they need just one thing more. Just need one thing more. There's a pastor, a friend of mine, actually a friend of a friend, who told a story once about his own experience. He said he was traveling and he was about to board a cross-country flight. He was going to fly across the States, which is, a, you know, it's a multi-hour flight. And air travel these days is not exactly what you might call comfortable and luxurious all the time. And on this flight, he was going through the airport and walked by one of the airport shops, and he saw some new headphones to go with his phone or his iPod, whatever music player he had. And he thought, you know, I could use a new set of headphones. I mean, I'm going to board this flight. It would help me listen to my music, probably like noise-canceling headphones, you know, to drown out the noise and all the people around me. I could listen to my music, listen to some podcasts that I've stored up for this trip. He's trying to decide, do I need these or not? You know, is it worth it for me? He finally decides it's worth it to buy these things. And he reaches into his backpack to get his wallet out to pull out his credit card and pay for these new headphones. 
And when he opens up his back to get his wallet, accidentally he drops the other two pairs of headphones that he already brought with him. But I thought I needed one more. I always need one more. For me, it's technology. It's new phones and gear and stuff like that, just like for him. Today in our children's message in this venue, Kari was talking about how as kids we want more toys, more crayons, more whatever, more shoes, more outfits, whatever. I need more. And the result of this is that we stress ourselves out, right? We wind up overcommitted and overextended, and we live at our margins, and we live beyond our, we live beyond our means. And then when opportunities present themselves to where we could share, where there's a need that we'd like to meet, where there's an opportunity that we'd like to give to, it's like we've tied our own hands and we can't do it. We're all, we're all tapped out. And that's frustrating to live that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Life doesn't have to be that way. Together, as the Christian community, we are called to be, we are intended to be, we are made to be. I believe we are empowered by God to be and taught by Jesus to be a generous community, a different kind of people, to share life together in a good and beautiful way. As we turn to learn from the scriptures today, I think what we will hear there gives us two things. I think it gives us both the power, it it, it has the power to change our hearts, because we kind of need to have heart change on this. We need to have our hearts redirected and set free on this, and also then the wisdom to guide us in new ways, which really are ancient ways, but maybe new ways to many of us. Let me start by sharing with you a really old story, an ancient story. It comes from the Old Testament, from the book of Exodus, from a time that was about 3,500 years ago or so. It's the story of the ancient Israelites. The ancient Israelites had been an enslaved people. They were enslaved in a country called Egypt. Isn't it cool? There's still a country called Egypt today. Like ancient history is still alive, right? And God set this people free through the leadership of a, of a leader and a prophet named Moses. He led the Israelites out of Egypt into the wilderness to cross the wilderness and go to a land that he had promised them. And he was going to make them. He, they were the people of God. They were going to live as a free people, a good and beautiful people of God together. And they got out in the wilderness, out of Egypt, on the way to the promised land and realized they had no food. When they were enslaved, at least they knew where to find stuff to eat. And now they're out here and they complain, did you bring us out here to die, God? And they start complaining. And and the story kind of picks up there in uh, Exodus chapter 16. And Moses and his brother and his right-hand man, Aaron, are going to speak to the people. Exodus 16, 9. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. History is not so different from the present, right? I grumble. I have things in common with these ancient people. Do you ever grumble? I grumble. I'm like, man, my phone won't load video fast enough anymore. I need a new phone, right? My grass is not green enough. I need new lawn care, chemicals, landscaping to take care of things. Maybe some of you are like, you look in your closet, you're like, but I've already worn all those clothes. I need new outfits. We need new stuff, right, all the time. We always need more. So we grumble. I have this in common with the Israelites. I grumble. Well, the Lord heard their complaining, and they were grumbling about food, which is a lot more sympathetic than what I grumble about. And he decides to meet their need, and the Lord makes provision for them. So he sends quail into the camp every night. So they have, like, meat to eat. Poultry is on the menu for the ancient Israelites. A little buffalo sauce and a little dipping sauce by the side is really good. Quail in the evening. And then in the morning, God would have caused this miraculous bread to appear on the ground. And it was called manna. Now, manna comes, this is a little trivia for you here this morning, from the ancient Hebrew words, ma, na, which literally mean, what is it? <laughs> they didn't know what it was. It was this, this miraculous provision that would appear on the ground 
and they were given instructions for how to collect it and eat it. They were supposed to collect enough every day for everybody in their household to eat it and consume it until it was gone, and they would get more the next day. This is how the instructions were given. Exodus 16, starting in verse 16. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Y'all know what an omer is? Actually, nobody does. It's an ancient unit of measure, probably like a quart or something like that. It's about that size. Take one of those for everybody in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some a little, depending on how many people they had in their household. And when they measured it by the omer, one for each person, the one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, now no one is to keep any of it until morning. You're not supposed to take extra, store it up, whatever. Just take enough, enough, and eat it that day. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. There's a shocker. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. It's fun to read in church. And so Moses was angry with them. The Israelites had this problem that I have and that I bet a lot of you have. They did not want to have enough. They wanted to have more than enough. They wanted to store it up. They wanted to collect it and have too much. And it didn't work. It didn't help them. Here, what I, I think what the Israelites found out is that hoarding isn't helping us, right? And that's a little phrase we could probably remember for ourselves. Hoarding isn't helping. It's not helping our situation at all. And when the Israelites finally decided to trust God's instruction on this and take enough, that's exactly what they had. They had what they needed. They had enough. Enough. Now, if we fast forward a long time, 1,500 years or so, we find Jesus telling a story, teaching a very similar lesson from a little bit different angle. In fact, this is one of those times when Jesus actually tells the people that he's teaching what the story means before he tells the story, which is clarity I appreciate sometimes. Here in Luke chapter 12, Verse 15, he's teaching some people, and this is what Luke says. Then he, Jesus, said to them, watch out. You got to be careful. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Why do you have to be on your guard except that it sneaks up on you? I know hardly anybody who thinks they're greedy, right? It sneaks into our hearts and our minds when we don't think it is. And then he says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Man, I should memorize that. That's like a truth bomb right there. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, just pause there for a second. We're in a series called A Good and Beautiful Community right now. Right before this, we were doing a series called A Good and Beautiful Life. And in that series, a couple months ago, I shared with you a message called Learning to Live Without Greed. And you may or may not have been here that Sunday, but I shared a study that was done by an associate professor of economics at Harvard. He wrote a book called Happy Money. We even had a couple of clips from an interview that was done with him. And part of the study that he did was to try to measure what's the correlation between people's income and what they own and how happy they are, what their quality of life was, right? And they found that once people's basic needs are met, once their income was high enough to have stable housing, reliable transportation, reliable access to food, clothing, once that kind of stuff was met, more stuff didn't actually correlate. More income didn't actually make them any happier. And he said a couple things that just really frustrate all of us. He said, what we found is that the size and value of your house is not correlated to your happiness in life. There's not a relationship between those two things. Most of us do not believe that. It's just not going to make sense to our hearts, right? The, the niceness and value of your car is not correlated to your happiness in life. Most of us do not believe that. It just doesn't work that way. Right? 
scientifically, demonstrably true. The Son of God said it 2,000 years ago. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. We should start to believe it. And then Jesus told this story. Verse 16 says, And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. In the 21st century, we'd say this person started doing really well for themselves. They're very successful, made a bunch of money, business took off, got a promotion, got a raise, got a year-end bonus. And he thought to himself, what should I do with all this? I have no place to store my crops. Right? This is more than I ever had before. This is more than I needed last week, but I, but I need this much this week. Where shall I store it all? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. I got so much stuff. I need rental units to hold it all. I need a bigger garage for all my cars, for all my boats, bigger accounts for all my stuff. I'm going to store it all up. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be, Jesus said, with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Here's what really strikes me about that story, is that in this fictional story, when Jesus imagines what God says to this fictional character, God does not say to him, well, now you're going to go to hell. Now you're going to get it. Now I'm going to smite you. Here comes the punishment. He says, you fool. That was not a wise choice. You are not leading yourself to the good and beautiful life. You are not weaving the fabric of a good and beautiful community. We all want life. We want to experience life to the full. Jesus says, you're not going the right way. Life is not to be found where you are seeking it. It does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That was foolish, God said to this guy. What will it take for us to believe in the truth and principle of enough? Enough. I have some suggestions for you. In my Christian experience, the attitude and belief and experience of enough is correlated. It goes together with, it's reinforced by another attitude and experience and belief. And I have a slide. I want to show you this cycle. It goes together with gratitude. When you have enough, it, it puts you in a situation where you're able to be grateful for it, but probably even more powerfully so, the cycle works in the opposite direction. As you are grateful for what you have, as you practice gratitude, it really reinforces that you have enough and a belief in the experience of enough. Have you ever heard somebody use the phrase count your blessings? Have you, have you heard that somewhere, count your blessings? Have you ever done it? Like actually literally taken time to count your blessings? Maybe not even all of them because that could take a long time. But some of them, it's a powerful thing to do. What I want to do right now, I'm going to ask you over the course of this next week to respond to these teachings from Scripture, the story from the Old Testament, the story Jesus told, by actually taking some time to count your blessings and say thank you for them this week. But let's practice it right now. I'm going to take the next one whole minute of your life and ask you to count your blessings. And if you'd like, you can do this silently, just in your head, just in your heart. That's fine. Some of you are taking notes during the message. There's always in your study guide, in your worship bullet, and a place to take some notes. You could write them down if you would like. If you came here with somebody today, maybe a husband or a wife or a friend or who knows who you're here with, you could turn to them and you could do this together. If you're next to a total stranger, this will really be fun, right? Turn to them and tell them what you're grateful for. You could do that. Great way to start a conversation and make somebody else immensely uncomfortable. And just, okay, it won't, won't, no, it's not going to happen. 
I want to take the next minute. I'm going to time it. And you take this next minute. And it can be, God, I'm grateful that I have a house that keeps the rain off. It could be, God, I'm thankful for so-and-so. It can, doesn't have to be material stuff. I'm thankful for so-and-so because they this. I'm glad to have whatever it is that you're grateful for. You've got the next one minute. Doesn't time fly when you're trying to do that? So much you can be grateful for. I've been doing this in my prayers this week. It's just a real, a real gift to be able to do that. And the great thing about gratitude is that you don't have, some of us think we have to wait until, we, until the feeling of gratitude strikes us. Like we're just gonna walk into a cloud of gratitude one day and that will help. But you don't have to wait to feel grateful. You can start to be grateful. You can start to say thank you and it will help move your heart. It makes you grateful to be grateful and reinforces the feeling of enough. But now let me get one step more practical with you. It has to start in our hearts. But I think once this cycle gets spinning, it creates or spins off a second cycle. And let me put up a second slide here for you. A cycle of frugality and generosity. When I talk about living frugally, did anybody just go, uh, a little bit inside? Like, oh, I don't want to do that. Frugality does not mean deprivation. It does not mean eating rice and beans and sleeping on the floor for the rest of your life even though when I was a bachelor, that's exactly what I thought it meant. <laughs> My wife just amen in the front row a little bit. When we, frugality just means living within your means. It just means living with what you're able to do, not tapping yourself out. And it's not always financial. You can practice like frugal frugality with your time and your energy and your talent that you're not overextended all the time. Because when you do that, it creates margin in your life. And when there is margin in your life, you have something to share. You can give stuff away when needs are presented and opportunities to appear before you. You can be generous. And I'm telling you that when you get to practice generosity, it creates the joy of sharing. You're like, that was so awesome. I got to take blessings God gave me and participate in the act of blessing somebody else. And it creates joy. And that joy makes you go, I want to make frugal decisions again. So that'll create more margin. So I can be generous. So I can have more joy and I'll make wise decisions and create margin. And I'm going to stop now. The wheel goes round and around. And the cool thing about these cycles, about wheels like this, is that you can jump in anywhere, right? And once you start riding it, then you can just keep on riding it. And you probably got to keep making conscious choices to stay on the wheel because the voice of temptation, the voice of advertising that you watch during the Olympics or other television or wherever it is that you encounter, the things that will convince you that you don't have enough and you need more, that voice will be there loud and clear. And you can counter it with the voice of gratitude and the experience of enough. And I want to challenge you this week to reflect on these things, to count your blessings, to be grateful, to listen to the Spirit of God speaking to your heart about what you have and what you need and what opportunities there are to share in the needs 
around you and to take steps of obedience, to not merely be hearers of this word, but doers also. But let me close today by celebrating something else, by telling you that when I look around at this community, when I look at your faces here today, when I've been away for a few weeks and I think about the life of First Lutheran, I see among you a good and beautiful community. I see a generous community. I see people who are generous with their material resources, who take the money and the stuff that you've got and you do share it with others. When needs are presented to you, you want to reach out and you meet them. And I know that you do this with your money. You give generously to the work of this church, for example. And there are people whose lives are being changed because you do that. We've got people who are being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and coming to faith in him this afternoon, partly because of the work that you fund by your offerings. And you meet lots of other needs in the world. And praise God and thank God for that. Not only do you do that, but you use, you, you use your time and your energy generously. Some of you are volunteering your time and energy in a whole variety of different ways with Habitat for Humanity this week, building a fourplex up in Hugo. There are members of our own church family who are going to live in that actually and have been saying thank you to you on Facebook this week. Some of you use similar kinds of time and energy to help build the new welcome center that's out there that welcomes guests and helps people identify and take next steps with Jesus. Some of you love kids and books and you read bedtime stories to the kids and some of you love food and cooking and serving meals and you serve meals at the family place and you do just all kinds of things that meet the needs of others within our church family and outside through our church family in our world. And you do this in your extended families and maybe in your workplaces in your neighborhood because the Holy Spirit of God has gotten a hold of your hearts and has blessed you and created the fruit of gratitude and you're like, how can I pass these blessings on? And you're looking for opportunities. And I'm so grateful for that, because that's where it starts. It starts with the work of God's Spirit, the living God, working in our lives, in our hearts, and in our relationships, and creating the fruit and practice of generosity among us. And so I want to close today just by a prayer, by praying for the continuing work of God's Spirit in our hearts and lives and relationships and community, and praying for ourselves that we would be pliable, that we would be cooperative with God's work in us. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, Holy Spirit, thank you for working in us, for being generous with your grace and your love in our lives, for meeting our needs day by day. We pray for daily bread and you have given it to us. And God, we pray that you would help us take steps forward in sharing in your generosity. As we have known your heart, that we would share it with and show it to others. God, we pray that you would help us take steps of gratitude, to have an experience of having enough, that we would Make frugal choices that lead to generosity, that you would let us experience the joy of sharing in your wheel of blessing the world, that as you cultivate the fruit of, of gratitude in us, that we would get to share in the joy of generosity. Soften our hearts and make us cooperative with your work and leading in the world. We pray in Jesus' name.